0: I love to hear this, this gospel reading from Luke, uh, the story about how the birth of Jesus came about. Uh, right away, we're struck by the mention of the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, which is so interesting on the part of the gospel writer. First of all, he tells us that Jesus was born during the reign of Caesar Augustus and when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So part of the purpose of this is to insist that he's not telling us a legend or a myth or a fable. He doesn't start his story by saying a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away. But rather, he points to a precise moment in history. He wants us to know that what he, the story he's telling is, is real, it's factual, it's historical, It's also interesting that he would give us such a contrast between Caesar Augustus and between this this little baby who who was just born. Caesar Augustus, being the Roman emperor, was was the most important person in the world and the most powerful. At the time when Jesus was born, the the Roman Empire was thought to span the whole world. This is why the Gospel writer makes the comment that the whole world had to be enrolled in the census because that's how powerful the empire was. That's how powerful Caesar was. The whole world was was in his control. Of course, being the Roman emperor meant that he would have lived in lavish luxury in a palace in Rome. He would have had many, many servants. People, he would snap his finger and, and people would... Would run to do whatever he asked them to do. It's also interesting that Caesar Augustus was known to be a great emperor of peace, called even the Prince of Peace sometimes. And if you visit Rome today, you can visit the ancient monument that's called the, the Arap- Arapachis Augusti which is a monument to peace that, that dates back to the time of Caesar Augustus. It was also about this time that uh, the Romans began to consider the emperor worthy of worship and to think of him as a god. So very, very interesting how in God's providence, this Caesar Augustus, who was, who was the most important, the richest, the most powerful man in the world, Uh, ushering in a great peace in the Roman Empire, thought to be a God himself would be emperor when Jesus was born. And what a contrast this makes. Because who do we know Jesus to be? Well, he's first of all born in in straw poverty. It's a very different lifestyle that Mary and Joseph and the Holy Family live than, than the Roman emperor uh, so much so poor is Jesus that they aren't even accepted in the inn when Mary w- was was having her child. How how unimportant you have to be that even the innkeeper doesn't doesn't take you in when you're ha- when you're giving birth. That's how unimportant in the eyes of the world Mary and Joseph were, and poor. Uh, and later on in Luke's Gospel, we'll hear how they present Jesus in the temple, and they don't bring the typical offering of a sheep or a goat with them. They can't afford it. And so they bring two small turtle doves with them. That's the offering of poor people. So very different, this holy family, than the royal family who lives in Rome. <coughs> also so interesting that we know that Jesus initiates a true peace. Now, the Romans had peace because they'd brutally conquered all of, all of their enemies through military might and force. It's the only reason why Caesar Augustus would, could claim peace is because they had won it with great bloodshed. But the peace that Jesus brings is not brought, out, brought about through military victory But it's actually brought about by the grace of God. And he comes to bring peace to our hearts. Peace at any time, even no matter what conditions we're living in, whether in times of poverty or sickness or health, or even in situations of injustice, Jesus desires to liberate us, not from the outside, but from within so that we can live as free men and women, free sons, and daughters of our Heavenly Father. And is it interesting that Caesar Augustus would be worshiped as God? It's all fake. He's not. But the true God was born that day in straw poverty. And so, this is why the angels appear in heaven and they sing glory to God in the highest. The true god has now appeared on earth like our second reading says not a fake god who lives in a palace in rome and brutally conquers his enemies but rather jesus who comes as a little baby in poverty who comes to win over our hearts what a contrast there's two details that our gospel writer gives that i find really fascinating and part of the reason i find them so striking is because he gives the details two times. Now, in, in the economy of words that's practiced by all of our gospel writers, every word is filled with meaning. And so St. So Luke mentions two things two times when describing the baby Jesus in, at Bethlehem. He says that Mary wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. And then, just a little while later, the sign that the angel gives to the shepherd is this they will know that they've found the newborn Messiah and King when they find the little baby who's been wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So, the early church, seeing how these details were repeated by our gospel writer, began to meditate. On the meaning of those two images, Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes and is lying in a manger. So I didn't know what swaddling clothes were until my sister, my sister Emily, had had her first baby, my niece Claire, because she wrapped Claire in swaddling clothes and my my two nephews, too. And the, the swaddling clothes are these uh, a stretchy fabric that you literally literally wrap the baby in and what and it and you constrict their arms and their legs so that they can't move it's kind of funny actually to see well maybe more pitiful to see a baby who's been wrapped in swaddling clothes because they're totally helpless their movement is almost totally restricted it's just a little head sitting out of that that wrapping most of our manger scenes jesus is not wrapped in swaddling clothes he's kind of flapping his his arms and his legs around but that's that's not what jesus would have been uh, been like in the manger wrapped in swaddling clothes so interesting that just to think of the symbolism of that that jesus his his movement is strict is restricted he's all the more helpless as he's wrapped in those bands. Now, newborn babies actually love it because it, it reminds them of the security of the womb. But, is, but it's so interesting that, that Jesus would be so restricted. It's like, it's like a symbol of his taking on our human nature. He who is divine from all eternity, all-powerful, our God, takes on our human flesh and all of its limitations. So now Jesus, even though he's God, lives as a man, and he experiences every aspect of our humanity except for sin. And that's very limiting, as we all know. It means that he would have suffered the sicknesses and and the injuries that our our bodies do. It means that he would have needed sleep. He would have needed to use the restroom. He would have needed to eat. He would have experienced the full range of human emotions sadness, anger, joy like we do, fully living our humanity. And so we see in the swaddling clothes a symbol of how when Jesus takes on our humanity, he limits himself so much, constricts himself. The fathers of the church, when they're meditating on this image of the swaddling clothes, saw, Im- imagined this little baby who's wrapped tight and helpless. And they, they, they said that this image of Jesus wrapped so actually foreshadows what happens at the end of his life when he's laid in the tomb and wrapped in the burial clothes. All the Gospels talk about the cloths in which Jesus was wrapped at his burial. And the fathers of the church said that already his death for our sake is foreshadowed at his birth. Already we see that this little baby was born to die for love of me and you. The other detail that the gospel writer repeats is his being laid in a manger. This too fascinated the fathers of the church for a couple reasons. First of all, because Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city of David, but the, the meaning of the word Bethlehem is house of bread. And then Jesus is laid in a manger. When I was growing up, before my, my dad modernized our, our barns, we had mangers lying around, or troughs, these wooden troughs that, from which our sows would feed. And they were about this wide and this long, hollow in the middle, and you could have perfectly fit a baby in one of them. Not that we ever would have, because we see it as a great indignity for for we would never lay our child in there. But look at the humility of Mary and Joseph in such poverty that that's that's their only choice. It's their only bed. But what is a manger? Well, it's simply a place where, from which animals eat. And this is actually why we have the tradition, of, the tradition that Jesus is born in a barn or a stable or a cave where animals were because he was laid in a manger. But isn't it so interesting that this one who's laid in a manger, a place where animals and beasts eat, would later go on. The one, who's called, who, the one who was born in the House of Bread would call himself the Bread of Life. The Fathers of the Church said that it's so clear that our Heavenly Father was showing us that Jesus would give his body and blood for us, his, his very life for you and me, dumb beasts as we are, to eat and to drink. Source of new life and nourishment for us. And actually, this is precisely why we gather today at this Christmas Mass. The word Christmas itself in English comes from the Old English Christ's Mass, because from ancient times, Christians would gather at Christmas and what would they do? They would celebrate the Mass. So essential was the Mass to the celebration of the birth of Christ, that they began to call this celebration Christ Mass. And eventually that word becomes Christmas. So here we are at Christ Mass today. And what's foreshadowed here in the manger, the little baby who's lying in a place from which animals eat, what's foreshadowed here comes to fulfillment here at the altar where Jesus gives his body and blood for us to eat and to drink. As Catholics, we we don't believe that this is a merely symbolic representation of Jesus, that what we do here symbolizes his offering of himself, that the bread and wine symbolize his body and blood. No, that's not at all what we believe. We believe that God so humbles himself in the Eucharist that This is Jesus. This is why we keep our leftover hosts at the end of Mass in the tabernacle. We don't put them back in the cupboard because they're no longer simply little pieces of bread. They're Christ himself that we have to treat as Christ, that we have to even adore as God. So what great humility God shows us in allowing his son to be born in straw poverty to be wrapped in swaddling clothes foreshadowing his death, to be laid in a manger. But how much even greater humility does he show us in coming to us in the Mass? Here Jesus enters the messiness of the stable, probably smelled a little bit, being where animals lived and ate. But when Jesus comes to us in the Eucharist, he doesn't come into the messiness of the stable, but he comes into the messiness of my life. Comes into the messiness of my heart. When I receive Holy Communion, Jesus doesn't want to just penetrate my body, but actually to penetrate my heart and my soul. And I know my heart and my soul are messy. I know that I am so lacking and have so many problems that are my own fault because of my own vices and sins. But if there's anything that the manger teaches us, it's that Jesus wants entrance into the messiness of our world, into the messiness of our lives and our hearts. He wants to be let in there because he knows that this is what brings light to the darkness. This is what brings hope to despair. This is what brings new life to that which was and felt dead. So, brothers and sisters, how blessed are we at this Christ Mass to be able to encounter our Lord and Savior in this way, to encounter him here in the Eucharist. Uh, This morning, let's not just welcome him into the stable celebrating his birthday, but to welcome him where he really wants to be, which is deep in our heart.